please stop. Sir, I'm asking you to stop. Please don't come close to me. Sir, I'm asking you to stop recording me. Please, please don't come close to me. Please take your phone off. Please don't come close to me. I'm taking pictures calling the cops. Please, please call the cops. Please call the cops. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Please tell them whatever you like. Excuse me. I'm sorry, I'm in the ramble, and there is a man, African-American, he has a bicycle helmet. He is recording me and threatening me and my dog. There is an African-American man, I am in Central Park. He is recording me and threatening myself and my dog. And my I'm sorry, I can't hear you either. I'm being threatened by a man in the ramble. Please send the cops immediately. I'm in Central Park in the ramble. Thank you. As I said earlier today, uh, letting you know that Christian Cooper will be our guest in this hour. Every time I hear that clip or see it, I um, I get angry all over again. It just uh, makes my skin crawl every time I hear it. Uh, the extent to which some of these fellow citizens will go uh, is beyond me. Our guest in this hour is Christian Cooper, the lifelong birder who turned a racist incident in New York Central Park into an opportunity to spread the word about black birding across the world as host of the Nat Geo program, Extraordinary Birder. Uh, and he has a new book. It's called Better Living Through Birding, Notes from a Black Man in the Natural World. Uh, I'm going to uh, play a clip for you of his Nat Geo program here in just a moment uh, after I welcome Christian Cooper to this program. Christian, how are you, sir? Hi, Tavis. Thanks for having me. Man, it's my great delight to have you on. You doing all right? I'm doing okay. Every time I hear that clip, though, my my stress level goes up a little bit. It's getting better with the passage of time. <laughs> well, I don't mean to raise your blood pressure, brother. I don't want to do that to you. Uh, but trust me, as I said, it does the same thing to me every time I hear it. Let me, let me just, a, a couple of things about that. I know you've discussed this a thousand times, but a couple of things about it and we'll move on. Because I think with time, to your point, um, it, it, it impacts you differently. And when I hear it now, uh, I hear it differently now than I did when I first heard it. And that is a, a, a way of saying to you, that I, I I am amazed the more I hear this at how calm you were or certainly appeared to be in that moment. Um, I've been in situations where uh, I am not pleased to say I, I, I lost my cool. Um, I, I wrote it in one of my books. Uh, I have a chapter and then the title of the chapter is that even when you're justified, you want to remain dignified. That's the goal. Even when you're justified, you want to remain dignified. Not always easy to do, but that's the that's the that's the goal here. Uh, but when I hear that tape now, uh, all this time later, I hear a black man who, under those circumstances, when the cops are being called on you, somebody's lying on you, you were relatively calm and kept it together in that moment. Is that what you hear? Well, it, it's embarrassing to admit, but uh, the reason why I was able to be so calm in the face of it is that I'm a nerd <laughs> and um, a lifelong nerd. And when I said my hero through all of my life, but starting very early was Mr. Spock on mm. Star Trek, the Vulcan who did not give into his emo emotions was always acting rationally. So whenever I feel my, feel my emotions started sort of going out of control, my automatic response is to pull back and just shut down emotionally and say, okay, the only way to deal with this is to act rationally. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did in that moment. And um, happily, it, it, it worked out well. I mean, 
I, I say this to a lot of people I've talked to, which is that um, in this modern day and age, the person who remains calm wins mm. in, in a confrontation. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that that's always true, but I think in a lot of times it's true. If you're the one who can keep your cool and just act rationally, I think that's going to serve you well, particularly in our modern era where, you know, sound bites and video clips can be taken out of context. And if you lose your cool even for a moment and you're acting all wild, they can pull that out of context and say, look at this crazy person. Yeah, I I take your point. Uh, That is a whole lot easier said than done. That's why I said the goal is to remain just uh, remain dignified rather even when you're justified because you were certainly justified in going off but you remain dignified in that moment and i think you're right that uh particularly and i think and, and your, your your comment particularly strikes me uh as a person of color that we are being put upon in so many ways and all these karens as they are now called that lady's name was amy uh, on the on, in, in in your face but all these karens as they are as they are are, are called uh, colloquially um, are in our faces for all kinds of things. There's going to be more of that. It ain't going to get better. It's going to get worse before it ever gets better, if it gets better. And I take Christian Cooper's advice that if you can be the person in the situation who can remain calm, not always easy, but if you can do that, I think in the end he's probably right that you win, although I ain't always passed that test, and I confess that. Just getting started in conversation with our guest, uh, the bird watcher, Christian Cooper, has an amazing show on that, Geo. A new book. I'll play some of the sound of his Nat Geo program when we come forward, and we'll delve into this text. I'm delighted to have Christian Cooper right now on Tavis Smiley. This is getting good. Yeah, man. Tavis Smiley, Tavis Smiley. continues when we come forward. 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 More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and the world's most famous black bird watcher, Christian Cooper, host of his own program now on Nat Geo called Extraordinary Birder and author of a new book called Better Living Through Birding, Notes from a Black Man in the Natural World. Here now some sound from his brilliant Nat Geo program, Extraordinary Birder. Getting a little Hitchcockian out there. Oh, that's nothing, my friend. I'm really starting to feel like Tippi Hedren. Have you ever seen this many ravens at once? No. It's nutty. I mean, this is the kind of thing you expect to see with, you know, starlings. Yep. Ravens, a bird that size? I know. That's what's so weird about it. This may be the largest raven roost in the world. It's the largest one I know of. And we have had counts of 6,500 ravens, and it's a nightly occurrence. I've never seen less than 1,500. You'll see them move up onto these low lines, and that's where they roost. A gathering of ravens is called a conspiracy, though the origin of this term isn't known. It may be related to how they gather in large groups around a food source. This is sort of a very convenient central point between a whole lot of resources. There's a huge urban area, including Palm Springs, just over those hills. And where there are humans, there are opportunities for ravens. I like to call this Ravenville. This is the time right now when they're getting ready to head out in pairs. Yep, we're right at the start of the breeding season. They're gonna lay eggs this big, and in six weeks, those are gonna be full-sized ravens. Six weeks! And until the eggs hatch, we don't see dead baby tortoises. But as soon as the eggs hatch, that's when the dead baby tortoises show up. This is a a baby desert tortoise. There's a thin spot in the middle of the bottom of the shell. Ravens know right where the thin spot is, flip them over, boom. They're just trying to raise their babies and make sure they survive. Correct. It's, It's natural behavior at an unnatural density. This ecosystem isn't designed to have the number of ravens that are just hanging out in Palm Springs. It's like, that's on us. 
The program's called Extraordinary Birder. It is on Nat Geo. I highly recommend it. We'll talk about that as we move through this hour with Christian Cooper. And once again, his new book, Better Living Through Birding, Notes from a Black Man in the Natural World. For starters, Christian, um, <laughs> uh, that reference to Tippi Hedren got my attention. Uh, I've seen that movie, The Birds, a thousand times. Uh, and every time I see it, it still, it, it still weirds me out. <laughs> well, uh, you know, that's fiction and birds generally do not attack people unless you're like near, you know, the nest of birds and then they might come at you. But otherwise, yeah. you know, birds are generally more afraid of us than we are of them. Yeah. All right. So give me before we get too deep into this, give me and give the audience, those who have not heard this, the, the backstory, give me the Christian Cooper uh, bird watching backstory. How did how did this uh, all begin for you? How did this become your muse, so to speak? Oh, gosh. Um, my parents put me in this wood shop working class for some reason that is inexplicable to me because I have no affinity for power tools or lumber. Um, still don't, but, um, and I had to build either a footstool or a bird feeder. And fortunately I picked a bird feeder. Otherwise I would probably be a podiatrist right now. Mm. And I put it up in the backyard and I got really curious about the birds that started showing up. Particularly this all black bird, but it had a patch of red at the shoulder of the wing. And I'm like, oh my God, I've discovered a new species of crow. <laughs> and I was all excited. And then I found out they were red winged blackbirds. So, oops, <laughs> no. But um, that, that was the start of it. And it just kind of sucked me in. And yeah. then um, not long after that, because both my parents were teachers and my dad in particularly in particular was a science teacher. So nature was always big in our household. And they took us on a cross country camping trip. You know, me, my sister, the family dog, and my parents crammed into a little VW camper going cross-country for hours driving past cornfields. Not much to do. One of the few books we had was a field guide to the birds of North America. So I was just flipping through it, you know, to pass the time. Mm -hmm. And then by the time we reached the West Coast, a bird would fly by at a rest stop, and I'd go, oh, look, Mom and Dad, there goes a black-billed magpie. And they'll look at me like, how the hell does he know that? Because <laughs> I remember the book. So. Um, so, so I, I, I hear the backstory and I'm glad I asked that question. So I, I get it now. Uh, but over the years, I mean, there, there, there are all kinds of things that we are titillated by that we find fascinating and interesting, uh, as kids, but that doesn't become a lifelong obsession. Why have you stuck with it all these years? Put another way, what does bird watching do for Christian Cooper? Exactly. Well, I think it does for me what it does for a lot of people in which, what I hope more black people will, will tune into, which is that it is incredibly powerfully restorative mm. to be out in nature and to have your focus, because you've got to be focused if you want to see the birds, have your focus on something besides what's going on in your own head, whatever problems or issues are going on. You know, for me as a kid, it was the fact that I was a closeted gay kid and, you know, the world seemed awful and I was doomed. But when I was birding, all of that fell away, and I could, I could, I was paying attention to the greater world and not my little problems. And I think whatever your problems are, whatever you're focused on, it can only be beneficial to be out in nature and focus the way you have to be focused when you're birding to get yourself outside your own head. Yeah. Um, so I think that that restorative thing, restorative thing, is really, really. Um, powerfully necessary for us particularly as black people because again remember birds fly the ultimate expression of freedom and for people who have known slavery who have known being downtrodden or still being put upon today mm. to have these icons of freedom that you can focus on it's it's just incredibly powerful 
I never thought a bird of a bird as an icon of freedom. Uh, you make me you're making me wrestle with that that frame. It, it makes sense to me, but never quite until just now thought of birds as icons of freedom. And I love the way Christian connects that, uh, of course, to the black experience uh, in this country. When you are focused uh, in your, in your bird watching, what, what are you seeing? I mean, I, I, I what, here's what I, here's what I've never done it. And I keep saying, I'm going to do it one day just to experience it. So here's, here's what I do resonate with. I resonate obviously with being out in nature. I resonate being focused on something other than my cell phone or my smart device or my computer, mm-hmm. uh, or my problems for that matter. I resonate with that. But when I am bird watching, what am I, two questions here. What am I seeing? What am I looking for? Those are my questions, Christian Cooper. Sure. You are looking usually for a particular kind of movement. For example, if you're in the woods, you're not looking for the movement of a leaf in the wind. Mm-hmm. You are looking for you know, a particular sharp movement amongst the branches that's maybe going up instead of you know, a falling leaf, which is only going to move down. Um, and when your, eye, when your eye is trained for that kind of movement, and you, you pick it up as you go along, um, then you zero in on that, or you're also listening. That for me, that's huge. I'm what they call an ear birder. I rely heavily on my ears to help me find the birds. Mm-hmm. So you're sorting through all these different sounds and picking out the ones that are like, "Ooh, I don't know what that is. I want to go find out," and you go chase it. Um, and after a while, it doesn't turn off. A good example is, uh, you know, I'll be in the middle of Manhattan. I'm walking down Ninth Avenue. There's traffic. There's a construction site. There are people walking by having conversations. I'm having my own conversation. But in the midst of all that city sound, I hear click, 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 click. And it just like cuts through everything else. Mm. And my brain says, oh, there's an American kestrel here, our smallest falcon, right in the middle of the city. Mm -hmm. And uh, my friend looks at me and was like, what are you talking about? How can you possibly know that? And I'm like, well, look up there. And up at the top of Water Tower, there's a kestrel perched looking for prey. And it's because I heard it, I was able to zero in on it. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that happens when you're birding long enough. And it comes gradually. And that's the fun of it, mm-hmm. is that it, you keep learning, it keeps growing. It, there's so much more to it uh, every day. Yeah. Um, here's, here's a, here's a, they say there are those silly questions. I'm not sure I believe that. Having done this for, all, for as many years as I've done it, Christian, I'm not sure that I believe that there are no silly questions. Here's one coming perhaps right now. Um, you spend your time in Manhattan, as you mentioned a moment ago. Is there a difference uh, in bird watching uh, city birds versus country birds? Um, sometimes. Um, best example is maybe um, red-tailed hawks, which are pretty much you know across the continent. But New York City hawks have a New York City attitude because mm-hmm. they've grown up around people their whole lives. So normally, you know, when you're in the country, a red-tailed hawk will spook at 200 yards and fly away. Mm-hmm. In New York City. You're, you know, you're 10 feet away, and it's looking at you, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> so, so they have a, because they've just grown, around, grown up around people their whole lives. So, yeah. they, you know, they have a New York City attitude. Yeah, but I, generally, I mean, <laughs> the, the same things that apply when you're birding in the city are going to apply wherever you bird. And that's another wonderful thing about birding is that it is everywhere. I don't care where you are. Yeah. I don't care where you travel to. You're going to be able to look for birds. And it just adds a whole new dimension to the world, to your travels, to where you are. I can tell you when and where I am by what I hear. Like I hear, oh, Sam, Peabody, 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 as I'm walking through a, a park. Mm-hmm. And I, I know, oh, I'm in the East Coast and it's wintertime in New York because 
that's white-throated sparrow song, and they're only in, in New York in the wintertime. Mm. So, yeah, it just changes your whole relation to the world. Yeah. Um, I was laughing when you were talking about the boldness of the birds in New York. Yeah, I've had some rats in New York walk up to me. <laughs> oh, for sure. I, I live in the most rat-infested part of New York City in Manhattan, so yeah. I, I hear you completely. Yeah, I have them walk up and look at me and ask me what's in my hand. They want my they want my leftover food that I'm trying to take back to the hotel. So I no, the I can't imagine the birds in New York are any more bold than the rats in New York. But I, I digress on that point. Um, well, the wonderful thing is that those <laughs> bold birds will eat the rats. Those yeah. red-tailed hawks and, and and are eating the rats, so they're helping us out. There yeah. you go. All right. Who, who in that case? Who rate for the birds then? Who rate for the birds? Um, <laughs> let, let me let me let me just ask you whether or not uh, you were in Central Park um, as a as a space as a space. Uh, and obviously that moment with you and this white woman became, you know, it went viral. Everybody's seen it all around the world. But as a space for all the places you hang out in New York, is is Central Park the space? Is that the place for bird watching in New York City? Actually, there are a whole bunch of places for birding in New York City. And in fact, I'm, I'm a board member of New York City Audubon, and we put out something called um, Birding by Subway, which is a leaflet that tells you all the different places you can get to in New York City in all five boroughs where you can bird. Um, but New York, uh, uh, sorry, Central Park is, is special in some regards mm-hmm. because during the migration, as birds are flying along, along the Atlantic Flyway, they get to New York City and they see this big sea of concrete. Mm-hmm. But then there's that one emerald jewel, that rectangle in the middle of Manhattan that mm-hmm. has water and trees. And so the birds just funnel in and it, it's what's called a migrant trap. It concentrates the migrating birds. So that's one reason why during migration, Central Park is such a favorite spot, because you will see more birds in less space than you would see otherwise. Yeah. I had a guest on this program um, some weeks ago, and I'm, I'm struggling to, to call his name right now. I, I, I talk to multiple, multiple people every day, hosting, obviously, a three-hour program. Um, and I, I'm blanking on his name right now. It may come to me, but the point I want to push to uh, is that he was on, talk about a number of things, including... Um, the push inside of these Audubon societies to change the names of some of these birds. They were given racist names or names that are deemed racist all these years later. You know this story? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been a big issue we've all been wrestling with in the birding community. Yeah. Tell me more from your perspective. Sure. Um, basically, you know, it, it's not just that some of the names are, are for racists. That's that's true. Um, and some of the names are for great people. Mm-hmm. But the point is, all these names were slapped on these birds during this, you know, colonialist expansion by, you know, people of European ancestry, you know, given these birds names that were important to them for whatever reason. And it's like, OK, but what does that really have to do with the bird? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. It doesn't help you know what the bird is if you know that there's a Wilson's warbler. Do you know what you're looking for when you hear Wilson's warbler? No. Mm-hmm. But if you hear a black-capped warbler, well, you at least know you're looking for a bird with a black cap. So the push is to give these birds names that are actually useful for knowing something about them and get rid of the names not only because they're, not only because they're racist, but because the whole sort of trend of naming birds by European settlers was kind of racist to begin with. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, by, getting, by giving all the birds names that are useful and getting rid of the old uh, person names, well, you don't have to make judgment calls. You don't have to sit there and spend the rest of your life going, 
oh, okay, this guy was good, but this guy was awful. Or, no, 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 I think that guy was good, and that guy was No, none of that. Just get rid of all the person names and give the birds names that are actually useful to birders and other people who are just starting birding. Mm -hmm. How's that process going? I can only imagine if a bird has been named after somebody famous or well-to-do or whatever it is, there's pushback by those persons and those families and those societies push back against changing these names. So how's that, how's that process working? Well, what's interesting is that the process, first of all, is just beginning and it's going to happen gradually. Right. Um, but it's sort of like, uh, how do you explain it? Um, you know, of course, there's resistance from people who don't want to see names change. Sure. You know, the, the old guard who don't want to see change. But uh, the thing is, bird names change all the time. Mm -hmm. um, when I was growing up, we had a thing called the Marsh Hawk. They don't call it the Marsh Hawk anymore. They call it the Northern Harrier. And so, you know, it, 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 since names change all the time, it's not that big a deal. Okay. Um, and people are coming to realize, hey, you know, this isn't that big a deal. And what other people are realizing is that, hey, this is kind of fun. We yeah. get to pick new names for all these birds. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. when I've been out in the field, people have been lobbing out possibilities and having a little fun with it. So, yeah. you know, I think people are coming around, which is great. Speaking of being out in the field, that's what he does for his Nat Geo program. It's called Extraordinary Birder. We'll talk uh, more expressly about the, the TV program, uh, Extraordinary Birder, again, on Nat Geo when we come forward. He has a new book out called Better Living Through Birding. Notes from a Black Man in the Natural World. As you can see, he turned that drama into uh, into an opportunity. I want to talk about that part as well, not just the projects, but how one goes from a moment that is caught on tape, that, that is seen around the world, that is racist to its core. You take that and you turn it into something beautiful like a TV program and a book and then some. Our guest is Christian Cooper on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. To make, to make you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Christian Cooper, host of the Nat Geo program Extraordinary Birder. His new book is called Better Living Through Birding, Notes from a Black Man in the Natural World. All right, Christian, tell me about the about, about the Nat Geo show. How, how'd that come to be? Um, my phone rang, and an executive <laughs> from Nat Geo said, oh, you know, we've been thinking about doing this birding show. How would you like to be a part of that? And I thought, hmm, okay. <laughs> so it was like kind of a no-brainer. Um, you know, uh, sometimes opportunities are presented to you, and, you know, you have the choice of whether to walk through them or not. But more importantly, I think, you know, you've got to keep your focus, mm -hmm. and sometimes, you know, you have a chance to do something not only for yourself but for other people mm -hmm. and to push the ball forward. And by doing the show, you know, I, had a, I have a chance to get everybody involved in birding more people and especially more of our people which is awesome you know by being a, a a person visibly out there birding i get to move the ball forward and then you know there's other ways to move the ball forward when you get the opportunity and this came up um when amy cooper the drop the, the charges got dropped against her uh and uh you know my phone started ringing off the hook everyone wanted a comment from me about what i thought about this and, you know, I thought, oh, yeah, I could say something about this, except I don't really care about her. I don't care to, to continue talking about her. But you know what I did want to talk about? I wanted to talk about the fact that our people in Washington, D.C. don't have a voice. Mm -hmm. And that's what I used the comment for. I said, you know what, if you're outraged about the fact that charges were dropped about, against her, you should be 10 times more outraged that the people of Washington, D.C. 
don't have a voice, don't have senators representing them, even though they have a greater population than mm-hmm. this all-white state of Wyoming or the all-white state of Vermont. Yep. Taxation. So you take these opportunities yeah. and you use them to push the ball forward. As they say, taxation without representation. It's been on their license plate exactly. for years. Yeah. So um, I'm glad you used that moment. I noticed that. And I'm glad you used, uh, kudos to you for, for using that moment to, to sort of elevate in that way. Um, a couple of things come to mind as you were talking a moment ago. What What is your best appeal? Because you've said a few times to our people. What What is your best appeal to black folk, to African-Americans in particular, for how their lives would be aided and abetted by 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 bird watching too often because of historical trends because of economic trends our people are cut off from easy access to green spaces mm-hmm. um and by focusing on birding um that helps to reverse that trend at least get us out into the to the green spaces that are available to us and to and that will create more more of a push to have those spaces um, available to us. So uh, you know that that's one way in which yeah. I think, in particular for Black people, birding is important. Yeah. Um, uh, I played a clip, as you know, earlier uh, from the show, the Nat Geo Show, Extraordinary Birding. Before I get to your book, I played the clip of the show. What 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 is the goal? What what's the goal of of, of each episode of Extraordinary Birding? What do you, what do you, what are you aiming to accomplish here? Each episode goes to a different location and explore, explores not just the, the bird issues, but also the bird and people issues. You know, when, when birds and people come together, what are the good things? What are the bad things? You know, what are the special birds in this area? How do they impact, you know, people's lives? And I, the episode I am most proud of, because so much of me went into that episode, is the Alabama episode. Mm-hmm. Because I had never been to Alabama. I'm a northern boy, born and raised several generations in the North. And to me, the idea of going to the deep South was like, no way, no how do I want to do that to myself? (laughs) Um, And yet, you know, you go back far enough in the history of any African-Americans and our roots are in the South. And so my dad's people came from Alabama. And so Alabama Audubon called me up and said, hey, do you want to come down? And I thought, you know, this is the way to get down there. And so when I did the episode and I was uh, set in Alabama, I was basically recreating that experience because and you, you you might think, what is what is civil rights history? What does you know family history have to do with birds? Well, actually, when you think about it, you know the birds migrate from the south to the north because when they get to the north, you know they have opportunity. They have uh, they have the chance to raise their their young where there's an abundance of of insects that isn't there year round. Mm. That's exactly why black people did the Great Migration because it was opportunity in the north, a chance to raise your children with a better chance at life, at a good life. And that's why we left the south and why my family left the south and went to New York. Um, and so those parallels and those intersections are just so fascinating. And that's what we explored uh, to a great extent in the Alabama episode. Mm. Uh, I love I, I get I just sit I'm, I'm sitting there speechless, which is rare for me. But I love the, the brilliant ways in which you weave this 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 notion of birding with the story of black people. And every every time you do it, it, it strikes me as, as rather brilliant. Uh, but uh, it, it it's amazing to hear you again weave these tales of your birding experience to the story. Uh, uh, the journey of black folk in this country. I, I, I get it, and, uh, and and I love it. Let's talk about your book now. The book is called uh, Better Living Through Birding, Notes from a Black Man in the Natural World. Let's talk about the book, Christian. Um, well, you know, the, uh, 
someone said, yeah, you should write a memoir. And I was like, who the hell wants to read my memoir? <laughs> and then I saw that uh, Colin Jost, the, the guy who does a uh, uh, weekend update on Saturday Night Live. On SNL, Live, yeah, sure. Memoir. Yeah. And I was like, he's 12 years old. What does he have to say? So I'm like, if he could write a memoir, I could write a memoir. So yeah. I sat down to write it. But really what I'm trying to do is just sort of, you know, put – uh, the salient aspects of my life in context. And that includes, you know, the incident in Central Park. But sure. that's the thing, is that by writing this memoir, I got to not only tell that story in greater detail, but put it into context. The context of, you know, African-American history, the context of Central Park history, and which is woven together with African-American history, because a lot of people don't realize that when Central Park was created, part of it was created by bulldozing a thriving African-American community that was there mm-hmm. in that location. So, you know, you get, you get to weave all of that story together, but also weave it into my own personal life, because that incident was like, what, two minutes of my life? Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot of other stuff that went on before that, that uh, mm-hmm. in many ways is more interesting, mm-hmm. like working in Marvel Comics, which was a blast and so much fun and, and also significant in that, you know, we while I was working there, I was working on the comic book that brought out the first openly gay superhero for Marvel. So that was a big deal and caused a lot of controversy. And what was that about? And what was that like? So I get to talk about all those things and have a lot of fun doing it. Yep. When we come forward, I want to talk more about the book, but I, I really want to delve into, um, to your point, uh, this incident in Central Park uh, became huge news in this country, international news, frankly. Uh, just two minutes to your point. But it fundamentally changed your life in a lot of ways. Your life is a much, is, again, it was, it was life before the two minutes and certainly life after the two minutes. But that two minutes sort of changed your life. And I, I want to just kind of come to this point of um, how, you, how you process that there are two minutes of your life that change the rest of your life. And then I want to talk more broadly, as I said a moment ago, a few moments ago, about what you've learned and what you, because I think this question may lead to a response from Christian Cooper that is both instructive and informative and perhaps even inspiring. Because as long as we're black, uh, somebody told me years ago, it's actually uh, Bernard Lafayette, one of Dr. King's lieutenants in the civil rights movement, who was just here in L.A. a few weeks ago. Bernard, Laf- Bernard, uh, Bernard Lafayette told me many years ago, and I was just a college student, uh, Tavis, as long as you're black, you're going to be in struggle. So the sooner you fall in love with the struggle, the better off you're going to be. As long as you're black, you're going to be in struggle. The sooner you fall in love with it, the better off you will be. Every one of us as black people engages, uh, has to navigate through all kinds of struggle. But what has Christian Cooper learned about having a moment in your life, in his case, two minutes, that changes your life, but you take that incident and you do something with it? That's what I want to talk about. Uh, You're listening to Tavis Smile. You're listening to Tavis Smiley, Tavis, Tavis Smiley, ranked number 45 on the heavy hundred list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. Made fresh daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and the Bird Watcher, Christian Cooper, who's the host of his own program on Nat Geo called Extraordinary Birder and his new text, his new book. It's called Better Living Through Birding, notes from, a, uh, notes from a black man, that is, in the natural world. It's his memoir, and I am at it. Uh, other folk have had memoirs who've done, uh, who've done far less and live, uh, live uh, fewer years. So I'm, I'm with Christian. If they can write one, so can I. Uh, why can't I, I should say? And he, and he did, he, and he did it uh, beautifully. Um, let, me, let me come back to this point we were talking about a moment ago, watching my time is getting away from me here. Um, but to your point, that was like a couple of minutes. But that couple minutes changed your entire life um, in, in a lot of positive ways. I mean, here's the Nat Geo program. Here's the book and other things that you're doing in this country and I suspect around the globe. Um, 
what's what's your what's your best advice? You talked earlier, and I love what you said earlier about remaining calm. If you stay calm, there's a greater chance that you win. But but for black folk in particular, who find themselves in situations like the ones like the one you found yourself in, again, we see these videos all the time. Beyond staying calm, what you what what have you learned about how to take a a moment that is uh, filled with uh, tragedy uh, and drama potentially and turning it, Christian, into these major opportunities? Well, I think, first of all, uh, I have to address what you said a little bit earlier, which is that, you know, this two minutes changed my life completely. It did and it didn't. Fair enough. And, um, th- in, some, in some respects, that answers your question, sure. which is that um, uh, before the incident, there were things that I'd been doing for years, which is going into the schools in New York City, public schools, and getting the kids outside and teaching mm-hmm. them about birds and, and spreading that quote-unquote gospel of birding. I've been doing that for, for like a quarter century at that point. Sure. And then some of the incident happened. Well, what that let me do is it opened up enough, enough doors that now I get to spread the gospel of birding just on a bigger platform yeah. and to more people. Um, so yes, it changed things. And yet what I'm doing is what I've been doing all along. And when people say to me, Oh, how come you're so good at doing the TV show? I'm like, Hey, I've been in in front of fifth graders and third graders <laughs> for 25 years. If you can handle them. Yeah. Can a TV show. So, so, uh, I, I think that's part of the answer to your question. Um, I think the other answer is, um, you know, we all have the ability to, to make a difference in the world. Um, I think we forget that we abdicate that power mm-hmm. and both my parents were civil rights activists mm. and they never said it explicitly, but both my sister and I, it is embedded in our DNA in, in just the way they brought us up. This, this simple idea that if you have the power to change the world, to fix something, it is your responsibility to get out there and try and do something to fix it. If you see a problem, it's your responsibility to try and fix it. And there's no like, oh, wow, isn't that terrible? Uh, I wish somebody would do something about that. No, that somebody is you. And you find a way to do something to change that. So, you know, with all these things that have happened in my life, I look for those opportunities where I can take that leverage and use it to try to fix some of the things that I I think are wrong with the world, like D.C. statehood, like the fact that black people aren't out there the way we should be in the national parks and, and birding. So. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, my, my my version of that is assign yourself. Sometimes you have to assign yourself to do yep. what needs to be done. Our remaining moments with the bird watcher, Christian Cooper, when we come forward. Seeking the truth, the truth. Speaking, Speaking the truth, the truth. This this is the Tavis Smiley Show. Show. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Christian Cooper. I got about three minutes left. I've enjoyed this conversation immensely with Christian Cooper. Three minutes left here. Um, Christian uh, is a self-described blurred. That's black nerd. <laughs> that's his own description of himself. A blurred, a black nerd. Um, I, I think I, wa- I think I want to close with this, Christian. Um, we'll see where this takes us. Um, and this, in, in part, brings this conversation sort of full circle uh, for all that we've talked about in this hour, again, which I've delighted in. Um, what is it to your mind that birds can teach us? Uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me preface it by saying this. One of my favorite songs is His Eye is on the Sparrow. And for those who know that song, you know the lyric. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I don't mean to proselytize, but I love that. His eye is on the sparrow. And if he's watching the sparrow, then I know he can keep his eye on me. Um, what is it that birds can teach us, Christian Cooper, about life. Birds can connect us. 
to the world in a way that no other creature can. Um, I, I find that every day. I find myself understanding more about the world every day, understanding that me being here in, in New York or in California, that there are birds that are going between those places that are going to South America and coming back to New York. That connects me to people in South America. It just makes me part of a larger world and a larger universe. And that understanding is tremendously powerful. And I think that's the most important thing birds can teach us. And the other thing is that they are, as I said, they are symbols of freedom. They can mm-hmm. fly. Mm-hmm. They are the best flyers on the planet. There is no part of the world that they can't reach because the entire globe is covered by that atmosphere that they can travel in with just a thought. By just holding out their equivalent of arms, they can launch themselves and move in any direction, up, down, left, right. And that incredible freedom is so inspiring to everybody, mm. but especially to us black folk, I think. Yeah. And so I think that's that's the thing we can really take from birds you're doing great work christian uh and uh nobody better prepared i i i say this um when that incident in central park uh came to the fore and i saw as i said earlier in this conversation how you how brilliantly you handled it and how you stayed calm in that moment and i've seen all the stuff you've done since then the nat geo show the book um it just reminds me that we are all prepared for these moments um uh and everything that you had done prior to that moment prepared you for that moment and that's why you handled it with such grace and with such brilliance and you're doing that now and all the other work uh, that you put your hands to. His Nat Geo program is called Extraordinary Birder. His new book is called Better Living Through Birding. Notes from a Black Man in the Natural World. You, of course, know his name, Christian Cooper. Christian, an honor, sir, to have had you on this program. I enjoyed this uh, immensely. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to you. Tavis, thanks for having me, and keep doing the work you're doing, please. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All the best to you.